It's exciting for me tonight because there are several symbols, several previews of the New Testament uh, Christianity uh, found in these Old Testament pages but are brought to light in our study tonight. I, I love these symbols. I love these, these prophecies. I love these uh, previews of what was to come. This book is uh, specifically designed to help us to help somebody else come to a knowledge of the truth. And so let's get started here in our book, and we'll be referring to uh, some readings in the Bible uh, as we move along here. I'm starting on page number five, number seven, paragraph number seven. Page five, par- paragraph number seven. So here we go. Mosaic Age. Here is an outline of the Mosaic Age. Number seven, page five. Here's an outline of the Mosaic Age. We will learn about the Israelites in the wilderness, Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, and how the children of Israel entered Canaan. We will also be studying the judges, the kings, and the divided kingdom. The account of the Mosaic Age closes with a look at the prophets, the birth of Jesus, uh, his ministry, and the death on the cross. We won't get that far uh, tonight, but we're going to make some progress. Number eight at the bottom, as Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt toward the Red Sea, Pharaoh again hardened his heart. He decided to pursue the Israelites to return them to slavery. As the Egyptian army approached, Moses cried, Stand still, Exodus 14, 13. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Then God said to Moses, Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Moses stretched out uh, his rod over the sea. By the power of God, the waters divided. And as a result of this miracle, God's people walked across on dry ground. You might write down there 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 through 4, Paul uses this event to um, encourage and teach some things in the church of Corinth. He says it like this in 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1. He says, my brothers, I want you to remember that our fathers uh, were under the cloud and they passed through the sea. In fact, our fathers were baptized uh, unto Moses uh, in the cloud and in the sea, and they all drank of the same spiritual drink, and they all ate of the same spiritual uh, food, and they also drank of that rock that was following them, and that rock was Christ. And so Paul uses this event to to teach um, the church at Corinth, and we'll come back to that probably. Number nine on the next page, top page, next page. Uh, Seeing the Hebrews walking across on dry ground, The pursuing Egyptians tried to follow, but as soon as the Israelites were safe on the opposite shore, the Egyptians were drowned in the sea. The Bible says, And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, and so the people feared the Lord, they believed the Lord, and they believed his servant Moses as well. Number 10, Miriam, Moses' sister, led God's people in singing and dancing for joy because they were now a free people. They praised God as they sang, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Gloriously. Uh, The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea, Exodus 15, verse 1. Their freedom is symbolic of those today who learn and do God's will. And are delivered from the slavery of sin. We, we remember Jesus saying in John 8, 34. 
that if we are in sin, then we are bond servants of sin. But he also says in the same chapter, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so as they worship, because of their freedom, so the basis of our worship today is the freedom that we enjoy from our sin uh, in Jesus Christ. So number 11, the next topic of the Mosaic Age is the wilderness. The Israelites were destined to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. Now, this is skipping, of course, Numbers chapters 13 and 14, when uh, Moses sent out the 12 spies, and only two of the spies came back with a faithful report, uh, Joshua and Caleb. And so because of this unfaithfulness, God uh, had them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You might remember Numbers 14.34 is something you can write down here. Numbers 14.34, God explained to them, Now, you spies, you went, and it took you 40 days to spy out the land. And because you brought back an unfaithful report, then I'm going to do it like this. One year for each of those days. One day, one year for each of those 40 days. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Right there in Numbers 14, 34, God said, you will bear your iniquity during these 40 years and you will come to know my displeasure. And they did. Right there in that wilderness. And so that's number uh, 11. Number 12, in the wilderness, God soon fed his people from heaven with a nourishing food called manna. He caused a strong wind to blow quail into the camp so the people could gather them for meat. Though the Israelites often complained and rebelled against him, God continued to care for them and taught them to depend on him daily. This is an important lesson for us as well. You know, Jesus teaches us as he teaches us to pray in Matthew 6 verse 11 uh, to pray for our daily bread. Okay. Give us this day our daily bread. We must also learn to depend on God every day of our lives. But also he speaks of this manna. Be turning your Bibles, please, to John chapter 6. This manna represents two things, Jesus himself and, of course, the word of Jesus. When Jesus was encountering uh, Satan in the wilderness, Matthew 4, verse 4, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, listen to what Jesus says here in uh, John 6, beginning in verse 30. John 6, beginning in verse 30. The people say to him, the Jewish people, they say to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you do? What work do you perform? Now, Jesus had just walked on water, and he had just fed 5,000. Okay, but still, they asked this question. And then verse 31, notice what they say to Jesus. Our fathers ate the manna... In the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus came back to them, verse 32, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said unto him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then notice what Jesus said, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never uh, thirst. Okay. So keep your Bibles open there, and notice uh, that in comparison to what is being said here. 
on the bottom of this page. So that's number 12 in our booklet. Looking at uh, page, uh, next page, page 7, top of page number 13, paragraph. Uh, the land uh, through which God's nation wandered was desert. Uh, when they needed water, God always made it available. Uh, he even caused water to flow from a rock one time to care for them. That's Exodus uh, 17. These uh, incidents illustrated that God always provides for those who follow his leadership. Don't you love that verse in Romans 8.32 that's mentioned here in this booklet? Romans 8.32. If God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, shall he then not, in addition to that, provide for our needs? He will. He has proven it. If he's going to give his own son for us, then he will also provide for our, our needs. And also, this is a reminder that as God provided water in the wilderness, so Jesus is really the water of life today. One passage you can put down there is John seven thirty-seven and 38, where Jesus said, Whoever comes unto me uh, will never thirst. I'll give him the water of life, and so forth. Okay. Paragraph number 14. Mount Sinai soon loomed in the distance as the people journeyed southward. This is where God delivered his law through Moses. Number 15. Moses had fled to this area 40 years earlier after killing the Egyptian slave, uh, the Egyptian slave driver. You remember that from Exodus 2, verses 11 through 15. If you're writing down verses, Exodus 2, 11 through 15, when Moses killed that Egyptian, Egyptian slave driver. And also, this is the place where God had spoken to Moses from the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. Now, once again, Moses is at the foot of Mount Sinai. This time, he is called by the voice of the Almighty God to ascend to its peak and stand in the very presence of the Lord. Number 16. Amid thunder and lightnings and the awesome presence of God, Moses receives the Ten Commandments written by God on two tables of stone. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Ironically, while Moses was on the mount receiving the law, the Israelites made a golden image of a calf. They worshipped it as the God who had freed them from Egyptian uh, bondage. How soon, how soon sometimes we turn from God. A, a, a passage there, if you want to write it down, Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul said, I am astonished that you are so soon removing yourself, deserting Him who called you into the grace of Christ, and now you're going after a different gospel. And so mankind, both in Old Testament times and New Testament times, seems to uh, suddenly drift away from God. Okay, next page, number 17. Descending from the mountain, Moses was enraged when he saw God's people bowing to the image. Already, they were breaking the second commandment, which says, You shall not make for yourselves any carved image. You shall not bow down to them. In his anger, Moses broke the tables of stone on which God uh, had, had written the Ten Commandments. Number 18. Then Moses burned the golden calf, ground it to powder, poured it in the camp's water supply, and forced the people to drink it. 
In punishment for their idolatry, 3,000 men who would not repent were put to death. Fear and reverence came upon the nation of Israel. God has always been displeased with image worship, no matter when it is. Paul makes reference to this in Romans 1, uh, 21 through 25, when he says, uh, people in their darkened hearts, they begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Okay. Number 19. God again called Moses to come up on the mountain. After another 40 days, Moses returned from Mount Sinai with another set of stone tables on which God had written the Ten Commandments again. Given exclusively to the Israelites, these commandments were the basis of all God's laws for them and their descendants during the Mosaic Age. The New Testament, however, reveals God's will for us today. Moses told the people that God would someday raise up another prophet like unto himself. That prophet is Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant who leads God's people out of the slavery of sin. So notice those passages. The promise of this other prophet is found in Deuteronomy 18. Peter preaching in Acts 3, 22 and 23 says Jesus is that uh, prophet. Notice in the middle of that paragraph, page uh, number 19, the old law was given exclusively to the Israelites. Okay? Write down a couple of passages, Nehemiah 9, 13 and 14, and Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 2, show that the old law was never meant for the world in general, including the Sabbath day commandment, was never given to any nation but the nation of the Israelites, and it was given at a specific time, specific place, right here on Mount Sinai, as we're reading here in the wilderness. Okay? So Nehemiah 9, 13 and 14, Deuteronomy 5, verse 2. Top of the next page. Well, number 20 at the bottom. The tabernacle was the first house of worship that uh, was ordained by the Heavenly Father. That's number 20. Number 21 on top of the next page. The tabernacle probably looked a lot like uh, artists have envisioned it. The Bible teaches that it was a tent-like structure built for God's people who were moving through the wilderness. All 12 Israelite tribes encamped around the tabernacle courtyard. Moses built the tabernacle exactly according to God's design given on Mount Sinai. A pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day hovered over the tabernacle to symbolize to the Israelites the presence of Almighty God. But today, God himself dwells by faith in the hearts of Christians. A couple of things there. Notice that Moses listened to God, and he built the tabernacle according to God's pattern. A great verse on that is Hebrews 8, verse 5, given to you right there. Hebrews 8, 5. Be sure, it says there in Hebrews 8, 5, see that you make it according to the pattern uh, that you received on the mount. Okay. Very instructive for uh, people today. Remember, uh, as Noah built the ark, Genesis 6, verse 22, that it says there that uh, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So Noah did the same thing. Noah received the pattern for the ark and went and built it uh, the way God wanted it. And so today, of course, uh, as we are servants of God to help build up his church, we uh, stick to the pattern 
Acts 2.42, the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers. Jesus had said, I will build my church. And that's how we are servants of Christ and building up his church is sticking to the New Testament uh, pattern. So they obeyed God in building the tabernacle and then they trusted him uh, as his presence was symbolized by this, by this pillar of cloud during the day and pillar of fire at night. So we do the same thing in a sense. We, we stick to the New Testament as we seek to serve Christ, but also we trust the Lord because we know that he has not left us. We know that he is, he is close by. Number 22. Materials for building the tabernacle were uh, furnished by free will offerings of God's people. The value of the tabernacle must have been very uh, great. A large amount of costly materials was used in its construction. God's people gave so generously that Moses had to restrain them from giving too much. Even today in the Christian age, the Lord's church is to be supported by free will offerings, according to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Why should not Christians give more freely today than the Israelites gave? God has given so much to us, including the gift of his own son, uh, to save us. And so free will offerings, not rummage sales, not car washes, not different schemes, not fundraisers, just simply uh, free will offerings is what God wants as Sam read for us this morning, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, He that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he that sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Number 23, now let us observe three pieces of furniture uh, inside the tabernacle. First, there was an altar upon which the Old Testament priest burned incense, altar of incense, as directed by the law of Moses. The priests were appointed only from among the tribe of Levi. However, today, in the Christian age, the Bible teaches that every Christian is a priest, 1 Peter chapter 2. Burning of incense as worship to God was strictly an Old Testament practice. God has never authorized its use in the Christian worship, but instructs us that the prayers of the saints are sweet incense to him, Revelation 5 verse 8. So we're all priests, and our prayers uh, form a very sweet savor and smell unto God. Revelation 5 verse 8. Number 24, two Old Testament priests, Nadab and Abihu, were offering incense when they were punished by being burned to death by fire from heaven. God had chosen fire from a particular source to be used for burning incense. Leviticus chapter uh, 9 and Leviticus uh, uh, 16. It was to be uh, used for burning incense. Uh, these two priests, however, obtained uh, source from, from elsewhere and substituted it for what God had chosen. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. This example teaches us to worship God only as he has directed in his word rather than according to our own uh, desires. So we mentioned that this morning in our lesson. We mentioned Colossians 2, 22 and 23 where Paul condemns what is called will worship. Worship according to our own will, to our own convenience, to our own concerns, etc. Number 25, the second piece of furniture uh, in the tabernacle was the candlestick that supported seven lamps. These lamps were lit each evening as part of Old Testament worship. God has chosen not to continue the use of lamps or candles in New Testament worship, New Testament church. Today, God's word is the lamp 
that is light to our souls. Christians are urged to study the Bible daily. We mentioned uh, the other day, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, where Paul says that the devil works very hard so that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ will not come unto us, will not impact us, will not dawn upon us. So it's the light of the gospel that directs us today. Number 26, third, a table of showbread was placed in the tabernacle according to God's plan. This bread was eaten only by the priest as part of their ritual. It was replaced each Sabbath day or Saturday. Today, instead of showbread, the Lord's Supper is eaten each Sunday by Christians, all of which whom are priests according to the New Testament, once again, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Number 20, 27, the tabernacle was an elaborate tent divided into two rooms. The first room, called the holy place, contained the altar of incense, the candlestick, and the table of showbread, which we were just uh, reading about. Now, the back room is called the Holy of Holies, and it was separated by a curtain or veil. The presence of God himself dwelled in the Holy of Holies. The only human being allowed in this room was the high priest, who was the eldest male descendant of the family of Aaron. The high priest could enter inside the veil only once each year to make a sin offering for himself and for the people. But today, but today, Jesus Christ is our only high priest and the only mediator between God and man. Therefore, a separate priesthood of men among men has been forever abolished. So the passage there, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 and Hebrews 9 and verse 7. Number 28, inside the Holy of Holies, there was only one piece of furniture. This was a wooden chest overlaid with gold called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark contained the original Ten Commandments on stones. Also, it contained a pot of manna that never spoiled, and it contained Aaron's rod, which once had budded in a miraculous way overnight. The passage there for Aaron's rod is Numbers 17, 1 through 7. Numbers 17, 1 through 7. You remember... God was tired of his people complaining, so he said, I want you to take a rod from each tribe, and on each rod put the name of the head of the family on each rod. And for the tribe of Levi, put Aaron's name on that rod. And then those rods laid in the tent of meeting overnight, and the next morning, Aaron's rod had budded. It's God's message to the people, stop complaining, stop complaining. I am communicating to you through the very people that I intend to communicate through. And so please stop uh, complaining. So Aaron's rod had budded, and so that was kept also in the Ark of the Covenant. The top of this Ark was called the Mercy Seat. Here, under the Mosaic system, the high priest came once a year into the presence of Almighty God to sprinkle the blood of animals to atone for his and other people's sins. But now Jesus, our sinless high priest, has entered into heaven, the true holy place, and offered his own blood once for all time for our sin. Now this is found in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. Now, this is beautiful. These are beautiful pictures here. The tabernacle in the Old Testament represents the church today. Okay. 1 Corinthians 3.16 we are the temple of God. The Holy of Holies represents heaven up above. 
And so we're not in heaven yet, but we're, we're, we're heading in that direction. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, on Judgment Day, Paul explains that the kingdom or church or temple of God, tabernacle, will be delivered unto God, and that will then be the people in heaven. And so the tabernacle, the holy place, and the holy of holies represents two very precious things to us, the church and heaven up above. The mercy seat represents Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2, verse 2, Jesus is called our propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. That is, he is the one who made peace between us and God. And so therefore he has become the covering. That's, to me it's just very interesting. So Jesus, in a sense, is our mercy seat. Number 29 on top. Not with the blood of bulls and goats. This is a quotation from Hebrews uh, 10, or Hebrews 9, verse 12. Uh, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, uh, Jesus entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Since Jesus' blood obtained eternal redemption, then uh, his death on the cross marked the end of all animal sacrifices. Number 30. While the Old Testament tabernacle was in use, the altar of burnt offering stood in front of the tabernacle. Animal sacrifices were burned on this altar day by day. From here also the high priest uh, took the sacrificed animal's blood into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. We read about that in Leviticus chapter uh, 16. Number 31. The priests under the law of Moses were required to wash in a basin made of brass before entering the tabernacle. Okay, remember the tabernacle represents the church today. So today, we must be washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ before God allows us to be part of his spiritual household, which is the church. Remember how Paul refers to the church in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, so that uh, Timothy would learn how to behave himself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar, pillar and ground of the truth. We are, we are washed today by the blood of Christ whenever we obey in the command to be baptized. We remember several passages that uh, refer to this, but you can put down Acts twenty two sixteen or 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Number 32 After completing the tabernacle, God's people carried it with them as they traveled. But they soon learned that tabernacle worship, important as it was, could not be substituted for obedience. Nearing the land of Edom, they rebelled against God again. To show how sinful and wicked rebellion was, God sent poisonous snakes among the people so that many of them died. They soon called upon God again for deliverance. God told Moses to make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole so that those who have been bitten might look at it and be healed. Notice God did not take away the poisonous snakes, but he made a way for his people to be healed. Today God does not remove the temptation of sin, but he lifted up Christ on the cross so that we might be healed from the fatal sting of sin. John 3, 14 and 15, uh, Jesus himself said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Okay, now that is 
we read from Numbers chapter 21. Next page, top of page uh, 33. Canaan, the promised land, was finally reached by the descendants of the people who originally had left Egypt. Because of their faithless hearts, the people had wandered in the wilderness 40 long years. God had promised Abraham many years before that his people would inherit the land of Canaan. We shall see how God kept his promise. Number 34, Moses and Joshua were finally at the place where they could lay plans to take the land of Canaan. Knowing he could not enter Canaan because of sin, Moses gave the leadership role to Joshua. God then enabled Moses to enjoy a panoramic view of all the promised land towards which he had been marching for 40 years. This transcending scene was stamped on Moses' heart as he ascended up Mount Nebo where he died. Joshua's heart probably was filled with sadness, but God's plans needed to be carried out. Immediately he sent two spies into the land in preparation for conquering uh, it. Number 35, Rahab, who was a citizen of Jericho, hid the spies when they were in danger of being caught and assisted them in their escape from the city. Although she was a Gentile, this brave woman became a believer in God. She and her family were spared later when the Israelites came into possession of the promised land. You remember the instruction to her to hang out a scarlet thread outside the window of her house where she let down the spies and helped them to escape. And so that when they came in and took Jericho, they were to see that scarlet thread and then pass over that house. She was encouraged to go get her dad, go get her brothers, go get all her family and bring them into that house whenever the Israelites came in to conquer uh, Joshua. So that speaks to us again. This scarlet thread is a preview of the blood of Jesus because as the blood of Jesus is applied to our soul, then that puts us in a very safe position before the Lord. Number 36, Joshua organized his forces to cross the Jordan River and begin the conquest as soon as he received the report of the spies. They told Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Joshua 2.24 All that remained between Israel and their promised land was the Jordan River, which was now at the peak of its flood season. So, number 37, at God's command, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant into the flooded river. When the feet of the priests touched the water, God caused the waters to divide. All the Israelites crossed safely on dry ground. This was a new generation of Jews. Only Joshua and Caleb remained of the original generation that had escaped uh, Egyptian slavery 40 years previously. The rest had fallen in the wilderness because of unbelief. This reminds us of Jesus' statement, Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. The faithful Jews who crossed the Jordan River subdued and possessed the promised land before Joshua died. This will be as far as we go uh, this evening. We'll pick up here, Lord willing, uh, later on. But you can see how many valuable lessons there are as we read through these uh, different accounts and events of Old Testament time.
One thing that really stands out to us is our need to depend on God on a daily basis. And for us who are so enriched by blessings every day of our life, it becomes more of an attitude of heart. Do we truly know that God is the source of every single blessing every single day? Lamentations 3, 19-21 talks about how that God's blessings are new every morning. His goodness is new every morning. We must keep that impacted, imprinted upon our hearts. And I love these references to the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. I know that you have your sights set on going to that most holy place, the place where Jesus is now. He promises that in John 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the, that's the most holy place. That's really where God is. That's where we want to be. And it's entirely possible. Can you see God has been planning this through all the many years? About six, seven thousand years ago, God created this world. And ever since then, He has been working His will, particularly through the nation of Abraham, in order to bring salvation to this earth through Christ. And as we obey Christ, the Lord adds us to the church. Yeah. And we read in Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, this has been the eternal purpose of God. The eternal purpose of God. And we can be involved in that. And we can, we can help others to see uh, these simple truths that are revealed in God's Word. And we invite everyone this evening to study more, to trust God more, to do all things according to the New Testament pattern. That's what we want to do. And that's that's who we want to be. We want to be people following God's authority. We must let God's authority reign in our lives every day. If we can assist you with any spiritual need this evening, that's why we're here as God's family, to do that very thing, to study together, to pray together. We'll be glad to do that. It may be that someone has been thinking about uh, your soul, and maybe this is the night. This is the time or you're going to decide to put Jesus on uh, in baptism. Baptism didn't begin with the Apostle Paul. God had it in his mind way back. Way back. Did you see that? You know? The little um, brass basin that the priests used to wash themselves before they went into the tabernacle was a symbolic preview of the washing that we receive now that brings forgiveness, forgiveness of our sins and um, allows the Lord to add us to his church. You, you may be at that point right now. It may be, and, and this, is, uh, this happens quite often, it may be that you are someone who has been baptized. But perhaps you didn't have the understanding of it at that time that you do now. Perhaps you want to be baptized with a greater knowledge and have more assurance of your salvation. There's no reason for us to have any doubt about our salvation. So we invite you to